Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Mediator podcast, news and views from Jane Gunn and guests. In this episode, I speak with David Hubner, international arbitrator, mediator, attorney and diplomat. David served as the US ambassador to New Zealand under President Obama, and he also describes himself as a futurist. So welcome, David. Thank you for having me. You also describe yourself as a futurist, David, so that's going to be very interesting because what we're very interested to know about is the future at the moment, so we'll enjoy tapping in on that a little bit later. But David, tell us a little bit about your professional background or your background generally and where your passion for what you do and have done comes from. Well, Jane, I am a lawyer by training, but uh, I believe in doing a variety of things rather than one thing. So I've bounced around a little bit. I've spent much of my legal career overseas, but I've also taught in law school and business school, uh, served as a CEO of a large law firm, and done a variety of other things. So it's actually a little hard to describe uh, what my professional life has been like. It's a good bit of this and a lot of that all mixed together. Oh, but I think that's actually where, you know, the breadth of experience and knowledge comes from in the end, isn't it? You know, rather than having put yourself in a box somewhere, you've experienced a lot of different different areas of, of life, I guess. So um, Absolutely right. When I was uh, young, I encountered Ben Franklin. I'm, yeah. I'm from Pennsylvania. Ah, and yes. Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin was mm. uh, the hero, the one of the founders of the American Republic and a Pennsylvanian. We took a school trip when I was very young to the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia, where I discovered um, to my surprise that humans could do more than one thing. Growing up in a small town in the coal region, everybody seemed to do one thing. It was something they did not like. Yes. Uh, and then they got old and then they died. And to me, that didn't quite seem like the right way to spend the precious time we have on this earth. Mm. Uh, and I was mesmerized by the idea that you could do a hundred different things, uh, learn about all kinds of different disciplines, mix them all together in wonderful ways, and at the same time have fun. Because Franklin was not only a polymath, he was also. Uh, a bit of a party animal, as far as I could tell. <laughs> was he really? Uh, this sounds like a bit of a maverick as well. So, Absolutely. I was interested reading about him, preparing for this, that he invented bifocals. <laughs> he did. He invented more than four dozen things that we still use today. Yes. He was a pioneer of harnessing electricity. Yes. And um, it was meaningful to me when I became a diplomat Uh, that he was the first ambassador ever appointed by the United States. He was appointed ambassador to France. Yes. And he spent two years successfully persuading the king of France to stay out of the revolution. So I believe he was the pivotal player in the success of our revolution by keeping the French out. So it's interesting that he was a key influencer for you, David, and I wonder who you see today as the key influencers who might help us and other people to sort of see our way forward into the future. Well, I I think we are surrounded by key influencers, most of whom are negative, most of whom are unproductive. Mm. We live in an age where shrieking 
is what ends up being popular and where anybody without preparation or a, uh, a thought process uh, can put themselves on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and generate huge followings uh, for no apparent reason. So the key influencers I see uh, tend to be destructive. In terms of non-destructive influencers, mm. uh, I am very focused on our youngest generation. Yes, uh, I have always felt that at a certain point in life, however thoughtful one is, one begins focusing on justifying what one has done during mm. the prior decades. Mm. Uh, and that inhibits innovation, it inhibits generosity. Uh, the people that I think are moving us forward are people like Greta Thunberg. Yes. People, people like the Parkland students in Florida who have mobilized uh, in the face of cowardice and inaction, inaction by their seniors. Mm. Uh, I think in the civil unrest occurring in the United States in the past week, um, what I'm seeing is uh, very positive action by young people who are insisting on raising and addressing an issue that needs to be addressed. So to Next, me, those yeah. are the influencers. They are the younger generations who are taking control of their lives rather than waiting their turn. And I think that's extremely healthy. It's, it's healthy and exciting too, isn't it? And I wonder, as a futurist, David, where you, I mean, given that there are, you know, we've got these negative influences, but we've also got the positive youngsters who, you know, we often have a negative view of the younger generation, but as you're saying, they've got a very positive energy and vision. I wonder how you see the global, where you see the global community going at the moment, because we're in a, in quite a bit of a crisis at the moment, aren't we? We're in a sort of post-viral, you know, riots-driven sort of <laughs> environment, and yet we want to see a way through this. Hmm. Well, I, in terms of futurism, I enjoy futurist reading. Uh, to me, futurism isn't actually prognostication, it's mm. planning. Mm. It's recognizing something that I think is difficult for humans to grasp, which is what we know ourselves from our own experience is not the way it has always been, mm. nor is it the way it will always be. Uh, we live in a constant state of change. So to me, futurism is embracing the inevitability of change and then working to mold it so that it moves in a direction that's positive for as many people uh, as possible. So where are we heading? I think we're heading into a series of disruptions mm -hmm. because of the inaction of the generation currently in leadership. Uh, we're going to increasingly see climate change uh, disruptions. Uh, we're going to increasingly see the result of not focusing in a serious way on the income disparities caused by globalization. And we're going to see an increasing push for equal representation in places where not everybody has been treated equally. So there are going to be a tremendous number of challenges. I think uh, folks of a certain generation fear those. Um, I think the future leaders, the people we see starting to lead, 
are embracing them and doing exactly what young folks did 20 years ago and 40 years ago and 60 years ago and 100 years ago to mold the society they were entering. And I think, uh, what do we do to advance that in a good direction? I uh, believe that folks of a certain age need to begin to let go. Uh, it is time to uh, stop grasping uh, all the reins of power and wealth, recognize that there are others coming up with a longer uh, time ahead of them on this planet, and maybe the people making the decisions are the people who are going to be here for another 60 years, not the ones who are going to be here for another six years. Interesting perspective, David. Very interesting. So as well, I think if I, if I could amplify that, that's the climate change problem. Yes. I have a lot of good friends who refuse to acknowledge it. Mm. And that's because I firmly believe they are convinced it exists, it will be catastrophic, but they will not live to see it. So why spend, why lose 10% of your income now if you're never going to see the effect of that? Well, to me, that's a toxic attitude, but I think that's what's driving the resistance to what is a clear problem. So in other words, we are still very self-absorbed, aren't we? <laughs> As, as a generation, but as a species, we're very self-absorbed. We're absorbed with our own interests still, and perhaps we're looking to a generation that doesn't have that attitude, which kind of brings well, me on to, to values. No, I was going to say, I mean, I, looking at uh, Benjamin Franklin, he was all about values, wasn't he? And he had his core 13 values, which he lived by, which he wrote for himself, I, I gather, you know, it wasn't the Ten Commandments, it was his Thirteen Commandments, um, Ben Franklin's Thirteen Commandments. But I, I wonder if we need, uh, and one of my other guests on the podcast was thinking about this, you know, do we need to come back to a set of non-religious values which guide us um, in the day-to-day the -day lives that we, we have, perhaps? Well, I think um, I would not necessarily draw the distinction religious, non-religious. Mm. Um, I was raised in a religious household. Um, I still consider my internal gyroscope to have been set by that experience. Uh, I think that these days there is some um, discrediting of religious faith because of the hyper politicized nature of a small wing of religious people. Mm. But I, I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, the, the two things that I'm very focused on are number one, first principles. These days, too many disputes, whether they're political or otherwise, are framed as though they were a football match. You've got your team. You don't care what your team does, right or wrong. All that matters is your team wins. And if your team wins, somehow you're better. If your team loses, somehow you're somehow degraded. That's not the way to live. The world is not a football match with two teams and people screaming in the stands. Mm. Um, I really believe we need to focus more on what are our core principles. Mm. And when we encounter a challenge or a puzzle, the way to deal with it is not gut instinct. It's to go back to our principles and apply them. 
I think we've generally lost focus on that, that what matters is not your instinct or your football team. What matters is what are the principles and how do I build up from those to be a productive member of whatever community I'm in? The second thing which relates to that is I think we under, need to understand why we have instincts and emotions. We become too driven by instinct and emotion in my view. Instincts and emotions exist for a specific evolutionary purpose. And that evolutionary purpose is now 50,000 years behind us. So the reason we feel jealousy and anger, all of that was developed in us to help us survive in a different environment. And I think if we stop and think about our emotions, our instincts, if we understand why they exist, and if we understand that they are not us, mm -hmm. we can control them. Uh, we'll make better decisions and plot a better course forward. There's final point on this. There's an excellent book by a, a Robert Wright called Why Buddhism is True. Oh, yes. I have that book. Yes. Now, the, the title is misleading. He's not making a religious argument. He's talking about the intellectual, uh, secular part of Buddhism that focuses on analyzing why we do what we do, and then asserting greater control over these instincts and emotions from a point of understanding. Yes. I think that's part of the path forward so that we de-escalate, we depersonalize, and we back away from this football match mentality. I think that's fantastic, David. And as a diplomat, and of course, both you and I are mediators, you know, this is very much what we would do in a mediation is, is help the parties or the sides to see that they're not separate and that there are ways to move beyond this sort of ritual winning and losing and them and us and, and the emotions and the instincts. And, and so I really think, and I'm sure, you know, it'd be interesting to hear what you do, that actually what we've been practicing for many years, sort of 25 years in my, uh, in my time, is uh, that mediation, that these skills that we practice as mediators are actually the skills that we all need now in the 21st century. It isn't just for, you know, business conflicts. We actually need to embed these skills into every community that exists, whether it's a family or a, or a, you know, a local community or a school or a business, that embedding these skills, getting people to understand and practice them would be quite transformative, really. Oh, I completely agree. Um, I think one of the things the modern era has done, it compartmentalizes things mm -hmm. as though they're all separate and distinct. Uh, the beauty of Benjamin Franklin, to come back to him, was he saw the interconnectivity. He saw that a principle in, a, in electromagnetism could be applied in a completely different area. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, the modern era has over-specialized us when in fact uh, a more generalist integrative approach is the right approach for a complex world. In terms of mediation, your specific point, um, children mediate, yes. children negotiate. Yeah. We all do it, it's an essential life skill. Um, for some reason, when we reach a certain age, we decide we don't need to study it and practice it anymore. 
But yes, the most pleasant people, the most successful people I know, all are focused on dispute avoidance, dispute resolution. And that's negotiation, mediation, facilitation, self-reflection, mm -hmm. application of first principles, and something that too many of us have lost sight of, empathy. Yes. The big piece missing is that stand in somebody else's shoes. Mm. I have friends who I like and respect who refuse to acknowledge the concept of institutional racism, mm. even though there is intensely persuasive evidence of it, not just in the US, but in most pluralist societies. Uh, they just won't accept that it could exist. And that comes from a position of defensiveness, but also lack of empathy, lack of understanding someone else's experience. So your point is the right one. Um, we should be continually focused on how do we maintain and sharpen our interpersonal skills, which include mm. mediation, empathy, negotiation. So I guess I wanted to sort of think then, what do each of us do? You know, we can't, we can look to influencers. We can't necessarily look to our national leaders to lead us at this time, but there are some key, maybe some younger people who are influencers, but what can we do as individuals? What can people do as individuals to help lead us into the future we want to see, David? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I've spoken about that. I think we should stop talking. Yes. There's too many people talking. I mean, it's, uh, it gives, you a gives one a headache. Everybody's talking and then everybody's shouting and much of what they say is uh, absurd. Mm. Uh, my own view is based on modeling. And you and I sit on a board together. You've seen some evidence of my behavior in this. I think what we all need to do is Go back to our own first principles. Imagine the environment we wish, wish existed, and then behave in ways that exhibit our principles and exhibit the end state we're looking for. Mm -hmm. So model the behavior. Mm -hmm. Be the change agent by changing what each of us can, which is our own behavior and our own little circle. And I think if more people did that, um, it would be a much better environment for all of us. And quite frankly, the people I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, Greta Thunberg, the Parkland yes. students, the anti-racism activists, mm -hmm. they are modeling their desired futures. Yes. And they are powerful influencers because they aren't just talking. Mm -hmm. They're walking the walk. Mm -hmm. um, Greta Thunberg refusing to fly on an airplane. Um, I may disagree with that position, but I am deeply impressed by her commitment and by um, the laser focus uh, of her advocacy. So she's modeling something which is making me think, even if I'm not willing to give up air travel, mm. I'm thinking about what else do I do? And that's an influencer in my view. She's, yeah. she's altering my behavior mm. and making me think. Because of what she has done and continues to do, not because of anything she said, 
And quite frankly, I'm impressed with her because she doesn't talk much. Yeah. So uh, that's a wonderful message, David, to, to sort of end on is that it is us who need to be the change. It's us who need to be the leaders. And we do that by modeling those core principles that we want to see modeled in society. So, David, do you have one final piece of advice for listeners that they might uh, take away with them from today's interview? Well, I, I, a great question. I, I guess the answer uh, for me is to be hopeful rather than fearful. Mm. I know change can be a little bit frightening, mm. but if we look even in recent past, um, we are constantly changing. The world is constantly changing. On average, it's getting more wonderful. Mm. So as we encounter the bumps along the road, I think we should all keep in mind we're heading to a really good place, certainly a better place than we're in. And if that involves a little turbulence, it's just part of the deal. And it should not deter us from proceeding on the journey. That's a wonderful, hopeful message to end on, David. You've cheered me up and inspired me, and I hope you've inspired everyone else. David Hubner, it's been great having you on the podcast today. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Jane. Thank you so much for listening to the end of this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please do subscribe to the Barefoot Mediator podcast series. And if you would like access to my free video series for managing in times of change, challenge and crisis, and to download a PDF copy of my book, How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom, please go to janegarden.co.uk forward slash video. And the link is also in the show notes. Thank you again and see you next time.